The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. The November, the November, December Christian Standard included an article called The Story Behind Our Crumbling Christian Communities. In it, he quoted uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, if you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, he was a German Lutheran pastor uh, during World War II. Uh, he was a prolific writer and he was an anti-Nazi dissident. And a month before the European war ended, uh, he was executed in a German concentration camp. In his book, Life Together, he wrote this. Christian community is most often threatened from the very outset by the greatest danger. The danger of confusing Christian community with some wishful image of pious community. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. They enter the community with their demands, set up their own law, and judge one another and even God accordingly. They stand adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of the community. They act as if they have to create the Christian community. Whatever does not go their way, they declare a failure. When their idealized image is shattered, they see the community breaking into pieces. So they first become accusers of other Christians in the community, then accusers of God, and finally the desperate accusers of themselves. So here's what Bonhoeffer is talking about. There's, there's this idealized version of Christian community, what it ought to look like, and then there's the real thing. And we know the real thing is messy, right? The real thing, the real Christian community includes broken people, people on their way to being healed, and when those two things clash, what we think the ideal Christian community looks like in reality, when those two things clash, what we find is conflict. We find chaos. The article goes on to quote two things. The first is a Pew Research poll from 2019. The number of Republicans who view Democrats coldly jumped from 58% to 83% in less than three years. Democrats were similar. They went from 56% to 79% in the same period. And here's the second thing that was quoted in an article, a paper called Lethal Mass Partisanship. 60% of all Americans think members of the other party constitute a threat to America. 42% of the people in each party view the opposition as downright evil. Nearly 20% of both parties agree with the statement that their political adversaries lack the traits, this is a quote, lack the traits to be considered fully human. They behave like animals. When asked, do you, think, do you ever think we'd be better off as a country if large numbers of the opposing party into the public today just died? Some 20% of Democrats that translates to 12.6 million voters and 16% of Republicans, or 7.9 million voters, do think on occasion that the country would be better off if large numbers of the opposition died. Lastly, when asked, what if the opposing party wins the 2020 election? How much do you feel violence would be justified then? 
18.3% of Democrats and 13.8% of Republicans said violence would be justified on a scale ranging from a little to a lot. I wonder as you hear those statistics, I wonder what your response is to them. And I think statistically, because of the large numbers, it's not, those aren't just other people. There are probably some of us in the room here or watching online who feel those same things. If 60% of the people believe that the other party constitutes a threat to America, statistically, there are people in this room, whatever party you voted for, you believe that the other side is a threat to our country. And as I think about these statistics and I think about what that means for us as a church, what that means for us as Christians, honestly, I get a little sick to my stomach. Like th th those statistics really concern me that th those are the people that we're talking to. These are the people that we are supposed to be sharing life with. These are the people that we are supposed to be proclaiming Jesus Christ to. And we live in a fractured society that basically hates one another. So we have to ask this question. So what do we do? What's, what's the fix? Well, thankfully, the Bible tells us. We're going to start again in verse 30 of Mark chapter 6. But here's a little context before we get there. Remember at the end of chapter 5, we talked about this last week, Jesus heals Jairus' daughter. And then Jesus and the disciples returned to Nazareth. This is his hometown. He shows up. He starts teaching. The immediate reaction to the people who are in Nazareth is amazement. They're happy to see Jesus. They're excited about his teaching. And then they remember that he was the son of that carpenter, Joseph. And the scripture says they were offended. Because who is, who is the son of a carpenter to teach me anything? What do I possibly have to learn from the son of a carpenter? So he and his disciples leave and they begin to travel from village to village, healing people and casting out demons and teaching. And then Jesus sends out the 12, the 12 disciples in pairs on a short-term mission trip to heal people, to cast out demons, and to teach others. The next little section of Mark includes what happened to John the Baptist. I would encourage you to read that um, section. And then it picks up here in verse 30 in chapter 6. And you can follow along uh, with me in your Bibles, in your book, or on version. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and the people from many towns ran along the shore and got there ahead of him. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So we began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to, a, to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. 
How much bread do you have? He asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. So I called my message today, Compassion is Action, because that's what Jesus does. Jesus saw, this is verse 34a, Jesus saw the large, huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What does that mean? Like sheep without a shepherd. There's a book that I've been reading um, called The Power of a Praying Husband by author Stormy um, O'Martian. And, and I'm going to paraphrase her because I think she really describes well what, what it means to be a person who's a sheep without a shepherd. If people are not taking care of themselves properly, it's not because they don't want to. It's because they either don't know the correct things to do, don't realize the need for it, don't value themselves enough, are too busy, or find discipline in those areas extremely difficult. They need us to ask God to help them. That's what it means to be a person who's a sheep without a shepherd. Aimless and wandering. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. I don't know who I'm supposed to follow. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Do you know anyone like that? People who are completely lost and wandering? What they need, according to Jesus, is a shepherd. But notice what Jesus does first. He says he has compassion on them. He didn't wish they were all dead. He didn't think that they constituted a threat to God's kingdom he didn't randomly run through the crowd punching them, telling them they were so stupid for not knowing what to do. He had compassion on them. The Greek word for compassion means to yearn from the bowels, to be moved, to feel something deeply from within. In short, what, what this means is Jesus' response to seeing all of this aimless wandering is he was sick to his stomach. If you're like me over the past week and a half, you've probably been watching the news and seeing what's happening as the Russians have invaded Ukraine. That, that compassion, that sick-in-your-gut feeling that's what you see when you see Ukrainian citizens fleeing where they lived. When you see a mom holding her child, walking for hundreds of miles to another country, and you feel that pit in your stomach, that's compassion. When you see the bodies of Ukrainian citizens killed in an artillery barrage, that's compassion. When you see the bodies of Russian soldiers, and I'm being a little graphic here, but when you see the bodies of Russian soldiers, many of whom are conscripts, 19 years old, 
Have you seen any of the interviews with them? They're like, we thought we were just on maneuvers. Imagine that for a moment. And you see them dead in the streets and in a foreign country? That pit in your stomach, that is what compassion is. See, Jesus has compassion. He sees them and he has compassion. He sees all of this aimless wandering and he has compassion. This wasn't the only time where Jesus had compassion when he sees something like this. In Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38, it says this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. See, Jesus didn't end with compassion. Does it make sense? He didn't just see all of this lost and helpless and confused and wandering and aimless mass of humanity, and he didn't just feel bad for them. He actually um, did something. But notice, he told his disciples to do something. This was the moment during the week as I was, as I was reading through this, this message or reading through the text and, and studying for the message. Like what I thought this message was going to be was Jesus had compassion, Jesus prayed, and then Jesus did two other things which we're going to talk about in a second. And while true, Jesus had compassion and Jesus prayed, Jesus told his disciples to do something. He told them to pray. Ask him, the prayer goes, the Lord, to send more workers into his field. So the solution then, when we see all of this mass of humanity, when we see people who are wandering and helpless and hopeless and don't have meaning and purpose in our lives, we have compassion and then we pray. Specifically, we pray for workers to go into his field. And we are those workers. Earlier this week, I sent a message to our small group leaders, and I want to just share part of it with you. There are a couple of numbers I'd like to share with you. The first is 98. That's how many people are currently engaged in small groups. We are thrilled by this number. The second is 113. This is the number of people who currently serve on a weekly serve ministry team. This includes teams like greeting, coffee, van ministry, children's and student ministries, creative arts, embrace grace, safety, and different administrative roles. Of those 113 people, about 44 of those serve on a given Sunday. So does that make sense? We have 113 people who serve in a weekly serving team. That's our pool of people to serve in our ministry. And of that pool of 113, we currently have about 44 that serve on a weekly basis. We need to increase that number to 50. 
as we add a children's ministry, children's program on Wednesday night, we need that weekly number to increase to 60. To be very clear, we're asking for an additional 15 to 20 people to serve at Westway on a weekly basis. Specifically, we're asking, we're looking for people to serve in our van ministry, our children's ministry on Wednesday nights, and we have a few needs in creative arts on the tech side. Then what I said was, please take time in your small groups this week and talk about this and explicitly discuss what this looks like in small groups. See, here's, here's where we are, and, and yes, if this is what's rolling through your mind right now, another message on serving. Yes! Not because it's my favorite topic in the world, but because it's what Jesus is talking about. See, to have compassion is to take action. And that first action is to pray for workers. So we're going to do that right now. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would send workers to your fields. We trust that you have assembled the body in a way that you see fit. Your word tells us that we have everyone we need. So I just ask God that we would, that you would send us workers. That we would see that compassion requires action and we would be willing to take it. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. But, the, but Jesus didn't just pray. Don't you hate that when people talk about that online? Thoughts and prayers. What good does that do? Right? Jesus didn't just pray. It says he taught from Mark chapter 6. He taught. He had compassion on people. Elsewhere he prayed and then he taught. If we look through the other gospels, that tell the same, that are telling the same story, this feeding of the 5,000. In Matthew, Jesus, Matthew tells us that Jesus fed people. And Luke tells us about the specific teaching that Jesus did. Because we have to ask this question, right? Jesus taught, well, what did Jesus teach? When we look in Luke, it says that he taught people what God's kingdom was like. So follow along. Jesus wants to be off by themselves with the disciples. He can't because there are so many people around. He has compassion on them. And then he begins to teach them. And what does he teach them? He teaches them what God's kingdom is like. Because he knows that the resolution to all of their helplessness and all of their wandering and all of their wondering and all of those other things, the solution is to live in an understanding of what God's kingdom is really like. See, when we read the Bible, we are getting an understanding of what God's kingdom is really like. It's teaching us what God's kingdom is like. If you, if you have version on your phone, we put a list of like 35 verses in there, different sets of texts from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus teaches about what God's kingdom is like. The vast majority of those verses begin with something like, the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. So if you want to know what those teachings are, I suggest you spend some time in your Bibles this week looking those verses up. 
Like if we want to know what God's kingdom is like, it's in the Bible. It tells us what it's like. We don't have to wonder. We can just turn to scripture and I want to encourage you to do that. And then when we learn what God's kingdom is like, you know what we're supposed to do with that information? I heard it. Teach. Earl, was that you? Good job. You nailed it. See, when we have compassion on people, we go out and we teach them what God's kingdom looks like. That's the fix is we teach them. And this is part of what we skipped earlier today. This is Mark 6, 12. It just says this. So Jesus sends the disciples out. So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. There it is. That doesn't mean you stand on the street corner holding a sign that says you're going to die if you don't follow Jesus. Nobody likes that guy. Don't be that guy or the gal. What it means is, is as people who have been impacted and affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we're going to do is we're going to go out into the community and we're going to teach people what God's kingdom looks like. We're going to talk to them. We're going to engage them in conversation. We're going to spend time with them. We might even invite them over to our house. This is how we teach. Jesus prayed. The disciples were to pray. Jesus taught. The disciples were to teach. And here's the third thing that happened. Jesus fed them. But actually, and this was the lightning rod moment for me this week as I was reading through the text and and thinking about Jesus fed them. Do you remember what Jesus said? What the disciples said? Hey, we're in the middle of nowhere. It's late. Send these people away so they can get some food. What did Jesus say? You feed them. Did you catch that? The people went to Jesus All these people are hungry. Jesus, you need to do something about this. Do you ever find yourself in that situation? Oh man, God really ought to do something about that. John keeps talking about serving all the time. Somebody, God ought to do something about that. I look at this situation in the Ukraine. God ought to do something about that. I hear that 60% of the American population wants the other half dead. Uh, God ought to do something about that. And so here's what Jesus says. You do something about that. You feed them. And yes, I know. They brought what they had to Jesus. And yes, Jesus divided it up. And he miracled that whole situation. Which makes me wonder, what are the five loaves and the two fish? What are the things that I look at in my own life that are so insignificant that God could use and do something amazing with. If God can do that with so little, what can God do in my life or in your life? See, because some of you think that you don't have, you have nothing to offer. A lunchable. Like that's what, was, that's, what, that's what they brought to Jesus, a lunchable. And it says that Jesus had 5,000 people and all their families with that. What do you have that you consider so insignificant in your life? 
And yet Jesus wants to take it and do something amazing with it. Compassion was action for Jesus, and it's action for us. See, we haven't been, we haven't been merely invited. We've used that word a lot over the past few months, that Jesus has invited us to participate in his work. But the reality of, he's command, of it is he's commanded them, right? He sees all the people, has compassion, and then he turns to the disciples and he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. It's not a suggestion. He's not asking them to do that. He's not asking us to do that. He's telling them to pray. Jesus sent out the disciples and told them what to teach. He's not asking them to do it. Like, hey guys, come on, will you please go out and teach? Please, 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 pretty please. Will you please go out and teach? No, he says, go teach. And then when it's time to feed, he doesn't say, hey, well, go and ask if anybody's got any food. He says, you feed them. And I think something that we struggle with in, in, in Christianity in 2021 is we have interpreted the commands of Jesus as suggestions. As really good ideas. Yeah, some, you know what? I'll get around to that sometime, Jesus. But Jesus is commanding us. His invitation is a command. A command to be obedient. And our culture is filled with people who are like a sheep without a shepherd. As I was having a conversation with a friend of mine about this sermon last week, um, he said, Jesus has compassion, but we are the display of that compassion. God's compassion is played out through us. We are to be the expression of God towards others, and we must show this. There's a, I think it's 1 John 4.16. It's not in the, in you version. But 1 John 4.16, the Mulholland paraphrase, says something like this. Um, people have never seen God, but when you are obedient and you love other people, they see God through us. See, what Jesus desires to do is demonstrate the same compassion, take these same actions through us. That's why we're here. That's why we have been saved. We were not given salvation just so we could all eject from this world at the end. Which, if you remember from Revelation, we're not going anywhere anyway. But we haven't been saved just so we can get out of this place. We've been saved so that we can be the love and the compassion of Christ to other people. And Christian compassion always leads to action. Always leads to action. Otherwise, it's just feeling bad. And that doesn't make any situation better. It doesn't change anything in our lives. So as we were continuing to discuss this, we asked this question, well, what if I don't have compassion that leads me to act? 
What if I don't have compassion? What if I see these situations and circumstances in the lives of other people and I have no compassion? Here's going to be a really heavy truth for you. You might not be a Christian. If you see hurting people and you're not moved to compassion, you might not be a Christian. Because when we are made new, we are given the Holy Spirit who dwells with inside of us, who changes us from the inside out, who helps us to renew our minds so that we can take actions. So if we see these different situations and circumstances and we have no compassion, we see that mom carrying her kid hundreds of miles, and, and that doesn't do something in our souls, like, we have to wonder if we're actually followers of Christ, right? Well, what if, here's the second question. Isn't showing compassion hard? Won't it be difficult? Here's the honest answer. Yes. And who cares? Did you see Jesus? He wanted to go away to a quiet place and rest because there were so many people around them that they couldn't even eat. Is that anyone's situation right now in life? You're so worked up and wearied by life and by serving other people and loving other people and, and doing the things that Jesus did that you can't even eat. My guess is the answer to that question is no. But that's Jesus' reality. And when he sees these people, right, what does he do? What does he not do? He doesn't roll his eyes. He doesn't say, well, I guess this is going to be a really long week of ministry. He's moved with compassion. He doesn't let the difficulty of the task get in the way of meeting the needs of people. I'm not advocating a 120-hour work week. What I'm saying to you and to myself is compassion is hard. We have a difficult task. There was a great sentence in last week's Bible reading plan and it just said this. We are called to exercise faith at the most inconvenient of times. Have you ever noticed that? We are called to exercise faith at the most inconvenient of times. Isn't that Jesus? Rolls off the boat, want to go hang out, hang out in a place with his disciples, and now there's all these people. That's inconvenient, and Jesus has compassion. As individual Christians, we are invited and commanded to show compassion and to act. As a church, we are invited and commanded to show compassion and to act. Why? Because there are people who are like sheep without shepherds. I came across this statement last week by Scott Sauls. It just says this. If you are sick, poor, sexually damaged, or paralyzed by guilt and shame, Jesus would move toward you and tell you what no one else would. You matter. What if the church became known for the same? See, this starts in this room. This starts among us in this body because you have been invited to be here. You're here. 
If you are a part of Westway Christian Church, if you call this place home, this is your task. To serve people who are in those categories. And they're not categories. They're not like this amorphous group of people. These are real people. These are the hurting people in our city. These are the mourning people in our city. These are the people who are living lives in pursuit of meaning from every other thing that's just going to let them down. And some of you were like that, weren't you? Before you entered into this relationship with Christ, wasn't that you? A life devoid of meaning and purpose? And for those of us who are Christians, our job is to pursue those people. Not to judge them, not to disparage them, but to proclaim the love of Christ to them. James puts it this way in his letter. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to put these words on the screen. And I want you to, I want you to read this with me. And this is the text that James read or Joe read earlier today. I want you to read it along with me. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters? Well, that didn't work. Oh, you can turn around and look at that screen. Oh, here we go. Perfect. Okay, here we go. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does it do? Here's what James says in the very next verse. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Let's pray. God, help us to be obedient to your word. But help us to not just be obedient for obedience's sake. Help us to not love and serve people because we are supposed to love and serve people. Help us to not be compassionate begrudgingly. Help us to feel excited about the opportunity to proclaim the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ to other people. A hope that that ought to have changed us, that ought to have filled us with joy and peace and compassion and hope. Help us to see compassionate action not as a burden, but as an opportunity as something that we look forward to. Even when it's inconvenient, even when it's costly, even when it comes with trouble. We lift these things up to you today, God, and we just ask that we would seek others out of compassion. It's in your sons and we pray.